We here at the Making Movies is Hard podcast are very happy that the WGA and the AMTPA have come to an agreement, but the SAG After Strike continues. If you would like to help, then please go to SAG After Foundation's Emergency Financial Assistance Program, SAGAFTRA.foundation forward slash donate, and click the link. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome. This is the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Mark Russell, the founding host of the podcast, and I'm a sci-fi horror filmmaker. And my first feature film, The Alternate, is out now on digital, DVD, and Tubi. And watch Parka, my latest short on Vimeo, which is easily found anywhere. I'm Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer who has made two features, Bread and Butter and Speed of Life. And I'm currently making my third, Best Friends Forever. I'm a producer's rep, and I used to work at Sundance, but who cares about that? Everybody, <laughs> this week we welcome Oscar Kowski, CFO of DeepPub.ai, on the show to talk about starting an AI-based company in the film industry, what DeepDub does, and why AI isn't going to be the job stealer that I and everyone else thinks it's going to be. He had a pretty good argument for that, too. I thought that was interesting. After that, we play another round of You're the Expert. But first, Liz, how are you doing? I'm doing better. Every day gets better and better. I think what I wanted to mention is that I am moonlighting as a witch just to get YouTube views. (laughs) (laughs) So we just released my short film, Witchy, and I've been promoting like hell. And then my thing that I do right now is I search on Facebook for witch groups and Wiccan groups and paganism groups. And I join them and I read all the rules and then I immediately just post the short film witchy to get views on it. And then I get a lot of witch related content in my newsfeed because I've done this. So (laughs) I'm now a member of like 15 witch groups and my entire Facebook newsfeed is about like hexes and like altars. It's really fascinating. So I'm surrounded and immersed in the witch world right now. Awesome. How, how, how did you do on the other things you said you were going to do? Did you like, you know, try to get a bunch of reviews and people to write about the movie? Like, no. how did that go? No, I contacted the festivals it played. No one reposted it. I contacted the previous people who did reviews of it and a few people reposted. I Googled a bunch of horror blogs and asked them to cover it. No response. So then I just thought, let's go to the source. Let's go to the witches. And now I'm just afraid that they're going to hex me for spamming them. (laughs) Well, I want to report on your behalf that you have 2,300 views, which is awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a really good amount of views to have. But it's 47,000 less than, sorry, it's 40, I can't do the math. It's 48,000 less than I want. You know, that's what I'm focusing on. But it's 2,100 more than I have, so... Well, but have you good. been contacting pagans, Ulrich? Have you no. been doing I your sh- Found be. the Pavement of the Wicked yeah. World? No. Well, I, I should be going after people who love parkas <laughs> and, and parka <laughs> groups who really love coats. Yeah. And then any any talking raccoon groups that might exist in the world should go after yeah. killer talking raccoon groups. <laughs> But alas, I have not been doing that. Yep. But, you know, there's still time. I did, however, a friend of mine just uh, texted me the other day and was like, hey, saw your short. We want to put it in our film festival. So we're going to play another film festival awesome. in November. So, yay, more people are yay. seeing the movie. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, t- I'll take the wins where I can get them, you know? Any, I know, we are opposites in that way. I'm, <laughs> one film festival, I should have gotten into 30,000. Like, that would have been my attitude. <laughs> so Hey, that's number, I think, 17 or 18 for us. So I'm yeah. like, yeah, hey, that's not bad. No, you're doing I great. Mean, it, it, it was a, a, what's it called? A stupid COVID run. So it, like 16 of them didn't count. <laughs> basically. But it's a Maybe short. 15. So it's like, are you going to travel with your short to every single film festival? Probably not. You know, my co-director was ready. Wow. She she's her first short film. So she was going to go to every single film festival. She might even go to this one in November. It's in fucking Canada. She might go. So we'll see. Oh my gosh, that's commendable. No, she she loves being out there supporting supporting the movie, which I wish I could do, but you know, toddler, baby. Yeah. Impossible. Mm-mm. What's going on with me? I have still been writing. Not as good as last week, but I think I got a page maybe this week, a page and a half. That's so good. I'll take it. I'm starting to really like figure out like what this movie is gonna be like and like what like i i like had in my mind it's like oh yeah like it's gonna be this this like little like segments kind of all intertwined stories intermingling and everything but like now that i'm writing it it's like oh that's what this that that's what it actually feels like you know when you when you do that and like you know the idea is that each segment will have like some sort of gag, like some sort of science fiction or, or horror, you know, effect, you know, or, or centerpiece. Oh, yeah. uh, but I kind of, I kind of changed it a little bit. So it's not just like, it doesn't have to be like, you know, something that's expensive. Like it could just be like, you know, like, I don't know, whatever, something that's like, like an alien torture scene or something, you know, mm-hmm. like somebody, like something that it, you could do on a low budget, but it's like, got science fiction pulpiness in it, you know, mm. or mad scientists like, you know, in a lab sort of thing. Mm. So like, yeah, that's very, it sounds lame. Seeing how it's like, but it sounds kind of anthology esque, even though it's not an anthology. Kind of. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit, it's, it's more like there's these, all these storylines and we kind of cut from one to the other and kind of go back. It's sort of pulp fiction, yeah. you know, in a way. Yeah. Imagine like the, the, you know, reanimator and Pulp Fiction like had a baby. Like okay. That's well, like that's this. a fantastic pitch. <laughs> I'm in for that yeah. movie. I'd like to see that movie. Yeah. That's kind of what this is with like a little bit of Night of the Creeps and a couple other like 80s, you know, grindhouse sci-fi horror movies yeah. thrown in there. Very, very much in like the Joe Bob camp. That's like what I'm going for with this thing. And my plan, I don't know if I told you, but like my idea to, to do this is like, since it's going to be like, you know, a lots of different characters and like kind of short segments is to like shoot it uh, in blocks. Yeah. So do like a four day block and then like wait like three months, do another four day block, wait three months, do four and then shoot it in my hometown in Vallejo. So I don't have to go anywhere, you know, and I can be around the children, you know, and I'll just like the, the me being away from them will be minimal. That's the way to do it. That's my that's my goal, you know, for this one. And it's like, it's like try to keep the budget low, put all the money into like special effects and obviously, you know, hiring the crew and stuff and, and all that too, paying everybody. I'm not going to not pay anybody, but yeah, just try to like keep it lean and mean. Don't go so big with the crew. Keep it tight, you know, mm-hmm. put, put more money into the effects and less money into like lighting, which oh. my DP will like hate me to say yes but it's like you know like do we need two lighting trucks for this movie probably not (laughs) can we get away with one yes i think so can we have three people instead of six people 
yes, I think we could do that. So that's that's sort of my 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 game plan. But we'll see how it all shakes out. I mean, I'm I'm probably a lot, long way from shooting this thing, but it's exciting to like write it and start to visualize like how it will be made yeah. when it will be made. You know, yeah. it's nice to have something to think about other than like poop and pee and burping and stuff like that. Yeah, just a little. T- I know people don't like parent talk, but you know, just a little bit of it. Like, did I tell you that we we potty trained BB? Like right mm-hmm. after our son was born. Yeah. So her being out of diapers is like, it's like the greatest thing in the world. It is so nice. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So just one set of poopy diapers to deal with. And then it's like, she, he's so small still. It's before it's offensive. You know, yeah, the poop doesn't get bad. offensive until like six months or whenever you start feeding them solids. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the safe zone. I'm sure you, which you are too. The other safe zone to be in is to go to <laughs> www.patreon.com slash MMIH podcast and support the show there. That's the way you can get access to the back catalog. I just had a, a prior previous guest of the show, Hassan Saeed, like reach out to me and he was like, yo, where's my episode? Like, it's not on. Like, there's a big gap between this time and this time. And I was like, no, they're all on there. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, paywall. So if you want to, you know, hear an episode from like three or four years ago, this is the way to do it is to go um, onto Patreon. Uh, you put one ninety nine a month and you get access to the full back catalog. That's over 300 episodes of the show that you can listen to through that way. Also, we do do bonus episodes. We do do, we haven't done a bonus episode in a long time, but I have one <laughs> that is sitting on my desktop that I'm ready mm. to release, which will happen soon, hopefully. But yeah, so checks out there. But also, without any other further delay, here's our chat with Oz Krakowski. Well, we're here with Oz Krakowski. CRO at Deep Dub. Welcome to the show, Oz. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Before we get started, can you just give us a quick one minute bio and then like a little background on what Deep Dub is? Sure. So, Deep Dub is an AI powered dubbing company or AI localization company. And obviously, you know, by the name, you get a rough understanding of what we do. And I'm sure we'll, we're going to dive into that a little bit later. And a little bit background about myself I come from a tech back- background with some uh, creative aspects as a hobby, you know, singer, b- band, performance here and there, but generally come from a business, tech becoming business, become an entrepreneur and diving into the world of entrepreneurship with AI and, you know, the creative world, the, 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 the merge of all, of how all of these worlds merge together. So this is pretty much you know, kind of like very high level myself in the company. Instead of going general, I want to get really, really specific with you and just really get us on the wrong track immediately. <laughs> I I worked with an actress on my last film where she wouldn't even do wild lines with us. And just to kind of give some context for anyone who doesn't know what a wild line is, it's reciting your lines out of the scene so that you have kind of a clean sound file for post-production, right? She wouldn't do wild lines because she she didn't like the ethics of that. She wasn't in character. She wasn't able to do the scene from beginning to end. And and I I think for me, that was like the first thing I thought of when I heard about your company and like how actors could respond to what you do. Could you talk a little bit about the ethics of Deep Dub with that in mind? Absolutely. I, you know, I, I think that's 
that's one key thing. You know, there's today AI obviously, you know, is is all over the news and everyone keeps talking about it. And and you know, we see it obviously part of the the strikes that uh, that are ongoing. And when we created Dibda back in 2019, the idea of working with the industry and showing a level of commitment to the industry was a, a leading factor in the way we created the technology and every all the entire workflows around it. So ethical is, is being ethical, being legal within the legal framework, you know, the existing legal framework, unfortunately, you know, the existing legal framework is 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 constantly you know, lagging behind, especially with AI progressing so fast. You know, it's really, really, really fast. But being ethical is is super important. Now, uh, and, and, I, and I, again, I'll dive into it. But uh, I just want to say that you know there are a lot of companies out there, and when you work with a specific company, then I would say definitely the ethical aspects of it should be something you can you should consider. I will say from our perspective, our uh, we are trying to show our commitment to this industry by working with the industry. And when I say working with the industry is, is you know, applying and, and adhering to standards, like whether that's GDPR on privacy or TPN, which is like security measures for content, you know, uh, uh, pre-release content, and then uh, working with different guilds you know different unions uh, you know we're we're talking to the to the right now to the actors union the voice act actors and voice actors union in in Germany we're hoping to do that to do the same also in the United States we've already been approached and there's a, a scheduled discussion to do, to have that and the idea is that when we do something it has to have the legal framework established nothing is under the table you know everything is pretty much known everyone that you know deserves a payment gets a payment for their job everything there's no fine print that we're trying to push in your face and with a you know a line you know to sign so everything is 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 known everything is according to you know the existing laws at least you know as much as we can and everything is done in a way that it is clear to every party involved in the process what we do now that's the reason also why at least I and I can I, I can only speak for Dibda, but I'm not representing the industry obviously but I'm representing ourselves and I can say that you know we do work with studios and producers and 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 even the largest studios to some extent you know we we we, we can speak the language because and and they can test us for that you know we have a documentation trail you know we can show that we are you know that we actually walk the walk and talk the talk which is you know the the reason why we're able to actually play in this in this game otherwise we'll just be kind of like you know something a fun game for you know for kids to create their own video which, which is not us now specifically to you know to to the question you asked uh, uh, with the, the the actor concerned about her voice the actress con- concerned about her voice or just like the soul of performance being potentially dissolved through the process of utilizing AI in dubbing? That's what I'd be curious about. I don't, you know, it's kind of like, it's a tough question because when AI creates, when we use AI to create a dialogue, then it's obviously going to be different. It's going to be different than the original. The question is, will it be acceptable? I think the question, is it acceptable or not, is up to the audience eventually, right? Just like, you know, every uh, new creation. 
uh, I know that, for example, you know, we have already dubbed content with 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 AI. In fact, we we work. You know, you guys are uh, as far as I, I I was able to read. You guys are you know from the indie film industry, right? You know, you're producers yourselves, and and we just worked with an indie film pro- Polish production, and they showed their uh, dubbed film at the Cinequest Film Festival about a month ago in, in San Jose. And the, the, the cool thing about it is that for uh, for these guys, it's a very low-budget production that was literally crowd-funded in, in Poland. And dubbing was not a question for them. You know, it, it's, it was, it's, they have no idea how to do, do dubbing. It's very complex. It's, it's a really exclusive feature, at least, uh, 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 at least until recently, it was a very exclusive feature for high quality content. And uh, we enabled them to do this. The cool thing is we actually use voice actors in some of our uh, uh, workflows. So we, for f- taking a, an indie film production that had no intention to dub because they thought it's out of their budget, out of their capacity, out of their capability, and then enabling them to do this and creating a couple new jobs in the process. Well, can, can you just talk a little bit about exactly how it works? Like, like could, could I literally have a whole movie, like, you know, shot, and then I have all the audio of, of my lead actor, and then let's say I need a new line to be created that they that they didn't say, and, like, I don't have time or budget to have them actually do the line could your ai just create it or does it have to be like a super famous person that there's like millions and millions of hours of audio existing for the the ai to recreate it or could you literally do it with like any actor who we have like you know maybe three two hours of audio recorded for we don't need that much much less than two hours really the question is and, and that goes back to the ethical side it's not only what can we do, it's the question is what will we do and <laughs> circumstances, right? And that, again, that goes, technology exists out there. With, with a few minutes of your voice, we can already create, do the ADR specifically or the pickup lines that you're trying to just, so there are several aspects of this, you know, from you, you, you talked about the production side, the creation side, can, can we support, especially for a low budget film that now we need to call back the cast for for uh, for pickups or you know for for ADR then yes you can use you can yeah, these are things that we do it's not our main business as deep dub but it's technology allows that and it's it's definitely something that that's doable you don't need two hours in fact you know uh, you can generally use the dialogues that already recorded in order to wow generate something new <laughs> jeez but the way we do it is is actually by having there are multiple ways to do it the one common way is to use another speech so have someone provide the the dialogue and then replace the voice of it wow okay the voice of there right so this again the idea here is to streamline now we're not saying that the original actor shouldn't get paid for it right we think they should still get paid for you know the fact that you use their voice in extra lines or in this in in this AI technology, but you know obviously it won't be the same. You know right now it's very expensive for them you know to fly them over and all that. But they also yeah. didn't work as hard. You know it's like they didn't need to fly. They need to go to the studio. Yeah, so you're so you're basically saying like even though they don't actually do the line, that we should still pay them a fee. You know because we're using their voice for a new line. Exactly. I I think that that'll be. Part of a, a way this thing will, is going to unfold, where you know they they will get paid for the for for you know for using their voice. Yeah, wow, this is wild. I, I have a quick follow up. 
so you said that this isn't your main like AD because to me when I saw this the first thing I thought of was like oh my god I would never have to do ADR again I could just have all my lines be be like you know if if, oh they didn't say it right or oh or I had a new idea like I wanted them to say like you know a new line off screen or whatever it's like oh my god like this is solves that completely which I had a lot of that in my last movie that I made like I did a lot of ADR work that I had to like you know figure find the money to do it right but what is your main business? Like what, what is, what is the main use case for deep dub as you see it? Like what is the main, like, you know, problem you're solving for? You know, in the end we were, you know, we're, we're a startup company, we're a small company. So we have to focus and we have to, and we're trying to focus on places where the bang for the buck is the most. And we can also can create a lot of impact, which also, you know, in the end also translates to, to uh, ability to monetize on it. ADR is a great use case. It exists. We support it. We actually do this. You know, in some cases, we even do more. There could be, you know, there are areas where we create an entire voice from from the beginning. The voice could be synthetic, whether supported by a voice actor or not. But still, you know, the the, the output that the audience will hear is entirely created by, by machine. So that's in the creation process. But we are mostly focused on localizing content. So let's say you finish watching the, uh, the production of the film and now you want to, you're trying to take it into additional, to new audiences. You know, you create it in English, we can dub it into multiple languages. And wow. uh, the reason we're more focused on that part is because it's more, I would say it's, in a way, it's more predictable. It, there is a big value there for, you know, for on the distribution side, you know, suddenly you're opening entire Latin America. And, and also uh, as an example, but also when you look at the entire economics today, you know, or, or it's not economics, but the, 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 the status of, of the, of, of, of digital streaming services where you have all those uh, uh, ad supported, it's called fast channels, the, the free ad supported channels that open opportunities suddenly you know, if you if you are an indie film producer, there's no reason why you wouldn't find distribution for your film, and and one of the because because there are so many avenues. It's not like you know if you're not on Netflix, then you're not. You, you can find other places to to someone else to actually you know help you get it distributed, and in many cases, the key factor that inhibits you from distributing your content is the fact that it's not speaking your uh, speaking the right language or, you know it could be again po- I'm, i give you an example of polish film and now dub it into english it opens the door for distribution in, in, in english-speaking countries i have like 45 questions and i'm like been going back and forth between all of them you may have noticed that in my eyes in the video <laughs> you know some of the talking points that we were pitched in in the email where we learned about you was avoiding cultural faux pas. And I'm just thinking about the, the, the nuance of language, right? And do you have a, an example or a case study or anything of how AI is able to be programmed or, or able to recognize this kind of nuance in a way that producers wouldn't be nervous about implementing it for dubbing purposes? I actually have exa- opposite examples how AI is not capable of doing it. <laughs> and then and then we're actually, which I think is way more interesting because it also highlights the limitations of the technology rather than, you know, we're, we're very focused on, you know, it can do so many amazing things, but it still also has its own limitations. And I think one of the things that we, we do is we, we understand where are those limitations and try to bring people in in the process 
in places where it makes sense. And specifically, you know, the, 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 you touched the adaptation, you know, the cultural aspects of it, which is extremely important, especially when you talk about, you know, uh, entertainment content. You know, if I were to, to dub a, a, I don't know, a course in physics, then I would need to bring someone that understands, and it's in English and I try to localize it into Spanish, then I would need to have someone speaking Spanish that understands, understands physics in Spanish, right? Because they need to translate that. But So when I do, when we localize entertainment, there is a bigger impact in terms of, you know, the adaptation to the target language. And it could actually, you know, it, it, there are several levels to it. It could be very simple. It mostly depends on, on the genre. And, and I would also dare say it's not that far from what is done traditionally at this point, because this is an area where AI still struggles. You know, we, we kind of joke that the simple phrase of hold your horses in English cannot be translate, literally translated into different languages because, you know, you're not holding horses. You know, it's, uh, and, 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 and the funny thing is that, in fact, if you go to Google Translate, and write all your horses and translate it into French, for example, you'll, you'll get the translation of the idiom, not the literal. Mm. So you'll oh, say, wow. it'll, it'll say calm down in, in translating wow. it down. So, so we kind of like understood that, that the hold your horses is an idiom, but someone had to tell it, to tell the, you know, the AI that, or the, the translate, the Google translate to do that. And that's the thing, you know, AI eventually learns it doesn't know how, you know, it's, it's AI is not really funny. It cannot tell jokes. <laughs> uh, if you have a, if you have not a joke, yet. not yet, not yet. And, and, and even then, you know, uh, it's not entirely creative from that perspective. You know, it's, it's taking inspiration just like we do in a way, but uh, in the end, you know, especially, and I specifically refer to jokes when we have a comedy or a content that has some, you know, sarcastic, it's, it's harder. The adaptation to different languages becomes harder. So I would, I would even say, you know, today that's probably not the forte, you know, it's like this type of content is, creates a bigger hur hurdle for AI to overcome because it's not only creating the voice and now I'm, I'm going to be judged on the translation as well, because, you know, I, the voice could be entirely, you know, flawless, but the translation sucks and I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going, and people are going to say, oh, that sounds really bad. So, but there are a lot of other, uh, you know, uh, cases where the adaptation itself is very simple, you know, change kilometers to miles, you know, change measures, change locations, and it could be straight, very straightforward and AI can do that. So I guess the first question is like, if, if you're going to take over localization through AI, then there's like hundreds of voice actors around the world that are now the, out of jobs. So I mean, before you talked about like you're actually working with actors, you know, in this process, like is is that is that like a, a case like do you have a team of like internal actors who are going to be providing like the baseline that the AI will work off of for these voices? Or is it actually really just taking the the actor's voice in the movie, like all the actor's voices in the movie, and then like getting those voices to be speaking in, you know, Spanish, Italian, whatever, all the different languages. It's a, first of all, it's a great question, right? It's a great question. And I'm glad that you brought it up in, in this very apocalyptic manner. I, I specifically call it apocalyptic <laughs> manner. <laughs> because, you know, the skies are falling and, you know, what are we going to do? <laughs> and the answer is is surprisingly dramatically simpler and and not so apocalyptic at all. 
because what we're talking about is not taking anyone's job. In fact, I don't think anyone lost their job because of us. The idea is, can we expand and, I, and in fact, create new jobs? And, 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 and let me explain. I, I, you know, I just explained, for example, you know, the situation of an indie film producer of production, a Polish production that would not dub their content. So we enabled them the opportunity to dub their content. And in the process, we used a couple of voice actors, two or even three voice actors. So those three voice actors in English would not have a job if it wasn't for us, because that job did not exist. Same for a lot of, by the way, we probably also used the linguist in the process. So we even created, you know, created a new job because we enabled a, a creator, a brand broadcaster or or a content owner to now do something that otherwise they wouldn't even consider and and that's basically talking about you know the existing infrastructure but who says we're limited to the existing infrastructure I mean why why are we limiting ourselves to the existing languages that are the main target languages how about new languages where you know there's almost no voice actors over there like you know I constantly use in in talks and uh you know in presentations I talk about you Uh, Southeast uh, South Southeast Asia you know like Indonesia has I don't know 200 million people rate of illiteracy are probably higher than they are in the US and so streaming with subtitles so so why do we deserve or Germany 100% of everything is dubbed well they cannot read subtitles why we why we subtitle to Indonesia but we dub everything into German why we don't dub into into Indonesian and And there right. is a, sorry go ahead good no, no no sorry you could continue I, I have a point but I'll, I'll let you finish well the, the reason is that there is almost no infrastructure there for dubbing right and and if I if we do this we actually create a new job because now it becomes cost effective it becomes accessible it becomes now I can dub that you know that they can this type of uh, regions become viable because they can go there. And, and with that, you know what, we are able to create jobs because now I will bring linguists and voice actors and, and, and people from the creative world to actually curate and, 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 and contribute to that, to that new creation. I don't, you know, we're not necessarily taking a job because that job did not exist otherwise. Right. But like for like, you know, we all watch Disney plus, right. And at the end of the credits for every Disney plus show, there are like, you know, 10 or 12 different set of credits for all the different voice actors around the world. Right. But like basically, and, and then not, not just for new content, that's for like all the old stuff that pops up on there too. Like they have to create new lines of like, you know, a cartoon from the forties or whatever in all these different languages. But like if they have access to your pro- platform, then suddenly they don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> they just hire you. And then like, it's like all those jobs kind of, you know, get consolidated through, through deep dub basically. But I guess in, unless like you're saying that you need a, a voice actor for each different project in order for the connection to be made from the original dialogue into AI. But I guess I'm just not sure exactly how that works. Well, uh, and I, I, and I can explain, but I, I think it's even deeper than that. You know, some top tier quality content, like the, the tempo, you know, the, 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 the talk about Disney, like the frozen type of, we're not even competing on this type of content. I, I don't think, you know, we're going to even, you know, bid on them on this type of project. We're, we're not bidding on this type of project because I don't expect them to do it with us. Those actors, you know, those talents, They're gonna keep their job and that type of dubbing is going to continue I mean every uh, every you know studio we talk to with this is not this is not this is not okay. the we maybe we can help them with ADR and stuff like that but we're not gonna localize those temple films because you know that's still the quality of those you know people are very 
first of all, money is not the issue when you dub a theatrical film. You know, money is not the issue. They 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 spend a lot of time and a lot of uh, money on it. So we're not the, our value is diminished. So I guess my question is like, you can't like your 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 AI technology couldn't just take like let's say from Antonio Banderas's voice in Puss in Boots. It can't just take Antonio Banderas and then make Antonio Banderas speak in like Malaysian or Japanese or all these different Cantonese, like all these different languages. Like it, it doesn't have that capability then, I guess. Again, our capability and what we will do is two separate things. Technically, the capability exists. We can do it. <laughs> but we're not going to do it unless we're commissioned to do it, which means that the, the right. person or the company commissioning us to do it has the rights from, you know, with you, to your example, from Antonio Banderas to do it. Uh, okay, I see. Okay. So we're talking a lot about... Oh, go on. Sorry. No, I'm no, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I just noticed that we're talking a lot about tentpole films, these these kind of like celebrity driven films. But uh, I mean, my question that was in my head was kind of like, why are you on this podcast? Where where do we where our target are like indie filmmakers. Right. And then I started to think about what you said earlier. Right. Like you're giving international opportunities for distribution for indie filmmakers. But I would say that the thing that precludes us from working internationally isn't necessarily always dubbing or ADR, but it's actually sound delivery, the ability to, and Albrecht's way more the expert than I am, but the ability to deliver M&E files during a mix is so cost prohibitive for most indie filmmakers. So I wanted to see what your response was there in terms of how do we even get indie filmmakers to the point where they're working with you if they can't afford the delivery process. Right. You're, and that's interesting. You're saying basically that the creation of an m and &E, like a clean m and &E, is one of the, is one of, I, I, yeah, I totally get that. I will say, you know, first of all, there are ways to overcome it. Not for, I don't know if it's for theater. It's, it's, it's probably not for theater yet, but the ability to actually algorithmically separate dialogues from, from a soundtrack for a, from a mixed soundtrack. That's a capability that exists. I mean, we, we, we have it and we actually use it. It's not something that we would recommend for a high quality, again, theatrical level, but something for streaming or even portions of, you know, where the separation did not work, you know, there was some leakage into the, you know, the, into the neck mic or whatever, then, you know, that's something that can be applied. And then, you know, we remove the, the, the dialogue or recreate some of the m and &E portion that were missing. Wow. That is a huge pain point for, for indie producers. I, I I had a really big problem with it on my movie that we had to spend some money to solve. So, <laughs> yeah, again, it's it, these are things that are doable. I'm, 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 I bet that if you even spend money, you know, some we're not the only ones that do it. So uh, on on that part part of the production. So I'm sure you know you could probably talk to other companies that do that. We offer it as part of the process because we understand that separating the dialogue from the MNE sometimes is a pain and sometimes doesn't exist, especially not only for, for uh, indie film uh, creators, but if I talk about a film, you know, I try to local, localize a, a TV show from 10 years ago. It may not have, you know, the, the all, all the assets and, you know, we're trying to find a way to work with it. Again, it's not ideal. I mean, you understand that if I'm trying to get a very good quality, especially if it becomes, you know, 5.1 mix, then getting the separated tracks is, 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 is critical or else we start recreating some stuff. And it's not going to sound exactly the same, obviously, you know, but 
if it sounds still again the question is sometimes not if it's the same but whether it's acceptable whether it's good enough in its own rather than I think that's kind of like the tricky part like we're comparing it to the original the the producer of the Polish film told me after we sat in the in the theater at the cinequest film film festival and we watched the dubbed film in theater he told me listen I I had trouble watching the dubbed like I watched portions of it constantly but as a producer it was hard for me because you know I'm so emotionally attached to the original creation so watching it up but but in the end of the of the of the screening he told me listen I I think I understand it it's it's not exactly the same film but it's still a very good a very good one so I still I love the output but it's not exactly the same as we created and it's okay because it's you know now it's in English so it's trying to address the English speakers and then just just curious I guess obviously with the the dubbing from Polish to English like the lips aren't gonna match perfectly right like it's gonna be there's a little bit of a disconnect there or is the con- technology so good that that actually not is not a problem anymore it is a problem today there is technology to fix it in different levels okay what we did there uh, you know it, 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 everything that you invest more becomes a little bit more expensive so when we try to just you know keep it keep it reasonable get get it at high quality and again an acceptable uh, output then we just use a a traditional type of adaptation meaning we have a dubbing director that will actually change a little bit of the script in order to make sure that you know that uh, the lip or that what you hear the new dialogue in terms of lip movements matches the existing lip movements and in fact even in that you know, we watched the, the trailer and they have you know the trailer that they gave us has burned in subtitles but what they say is actually different because in the adaptation process we had someone you know that go in and actually change the the the, the script in order for it to sound better so it's like you hear one thing but you read something else but again you I will say that technology coming to to effectively and uh, efficiently also do additional work in order to increase the 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 adaptation of, of lip syncing not only on the voice but also on the visual so if you're asking me a few years from now this will be similar so everything that we talk now you know when we were discussing all the legal aspects of it and and ethical aspects of it and and, and everything is obviously you know is is very very relevant but at some point all of this discussion you know if I'm trying to kind of like look into the future at some point all of these discussions will consolidate you know will be resolved you know when we we understand you know just like with the DVDs and the, and the mp3 where you know we had issues when they just showed up but eventually those issues were resolved and we we moved on and we started enjoying in a way the the, the output and and found our place in the new world the same will happen here uh, a few years from now localization will be seamless there's not going to be a difference uh, we we will be able to change the video in fact it's it's a feature that will come that we will also introduce in the in the in the near future the ability to actually change like if i take a content in english and i dub it into german and i can change the visual in order for it to match the expression that you would expect from a german speaker and it, it makes it seamless yeah i feel like i took a lot of heat away from the conversation when i asked about m&a files <laughs> like <laughs> by nerdy question and there was a lot of things that have yet that felt unfinished about that back and forth that i have questions about and i think alric may still have questions about but I know at the top of the show you were saying like you will do the work that you're commissioned to do but I if we can get philosophical rather than pragmatic about the idea of an actor's performance being 
synthetically represented by technology. Let's say an actor, well, let's say Anthony, Antonio, I'm about to call him Anthony. Antonio Banderas comes to you and says, like, what have you done to my pussed boots? This is my horrible Antonio Banderas impression. What have you done to my pussed boots impression? You know, like, that's not pussed boots. What did you do? How can you respond to an actor's concern about you manipulating their voice? It's hard for me to try to address this in a philosophical way because essentially the idea would be should be consensual. So yes, yeah, you should you should be involved as the actor. If you don't like it, you don't like it. You know, work. but if SAG loses and the studio somehow take control and contractually they have the power to, I'm just saying, like in a dystopia yeah. where yes. actors identity or black mirror. Yes. If they, <laughs> I'm asking you to answer an impossible question. I'm so sorry. I just can hear <laughs> actors coming to me being like, "How dare they? How dare they use my voice?" But you're right. They'd be entering into a contractual agreement where they would know it's going to happen in advance. Exactly. The idea is that, and that's the ethical part, that they don't sign on something that they are not, they don't understand, you know, and we've heard cases where people were signed and then they were told, oh, but you already signed that. And oh, but I didn't notice. So we avoid that. You know, there is no discussion of, you know, I signed something I don't know. Well, because we literally tell, you know, it's it's not a, a, a small, you know, font six size six where you cannot read anything it's we we literally tell people what we do and we're not shying away from the fact that you know that that's what we do and they get compensated for it you Mm. don't want to do this it's okay it's perfectly okay but in the end it needs to be consensual if you don't like the result don't like result you're right that you know technically you know studios can eventually own the, the the or get rights on the voices but it means that someone gave them the right on the voices i, I feel like you know i'm representing a technology but i'm i'm i can only like i said before i'm only representing deep dub and the way we operate is you know we're providing the means and we make sure that you have the rights to do what we are able to provide that's why i said i can't, i said several times what we can do and what we will do is not exactly the same thing. You know, we, we, we can do a lot of stuff, but we, we maintain an approach of, you know, someone tells me I want to voice match this and that actor. And we had that, by the way, we had that multiple times. The first question I have, do you have their consent? And we have people saying, uh, no, but can I still do it? I said, no, you cannot. <laughs> Not with us. No, but you can I? Can I still do it? <laughs> can I still please? No, no, you cannot. Not with us. You want to, you know, the, the ability to do it exists out, out there. And that's the, that's the thing. When you work with someone, make sure you work with a company that has the specific ethics to, you know, to, to actually uh, respect rights and, and, uh, and, 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 and privacy and, and, and things like that, that do matter. But for us, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big red line, you know. So kind of going on to this, jumping, you know, jumping on this question, like, does this, the outcome of the SAG strike have any effect on your business at all? Or are you guys kind of like set up for success no matter what? Or are you kind of like waiting for the result to like know like what you can do and with your with your company? It's hard for me to tell you if, if, if it's going to affect because, you know, that would be prediction, which I'm, I'm no, you know, fortune teller. I will say that, you know, we have technology, we have a solution, we know what it can provide, we know there is a need for it, and we know that it brings value. Why we know that? Because we, we, because we have customers, you know, that are telling that to us. We already have 
content, you know, we already dubbed a lot of content uh, into English. I mean, you know, there's, uh, you know, there are several streaming services in the United States that show, you know, hundreds of hours that we dubbed. The output, uh, I'm sure that it's going to have some impact on the industry in total, on the entertainment industry and on AI within the entertainment. I mean, I would be surprised if not. I mean, that's the per- that's part of the, per- you know, the AI is, you know, that the concept of AI getting into this is part of the, the, the lead topics in, in the strike. So I would expect that. And if we need to make changes, then we will make changes. Again, we are, we're not, we're, we're like I said at the beginning, we're very committed to the industry and we're here to work with the industry, not against it, not to try to, you know, create fakes and, and steal people's identity. The idea is how can we work with the producers, with the actors, with the, with the studios, you know, to, you know, to introduce this technology that it is creating something new and enables new uh, creates new opportunities and i think it is bringing a a wind of change and yeah a change is um is scary mm. it's scary but uh, would you rather do it with someone that actually commits to work with you or it's going to happen anyway and i think you know why why not us if we're also we're showing our commitment you know across, you know, to, to work with the industry. I'm thinking about an episode of my favorite show, The Critic. I don't know if you've ever seen The Critic. <laughs> no. Makes fun of movie critics, which I used to be. But they, like, change the endings of movies in oh. this episode, where it's like Casablanca, he, like, Elsa jumps out of the plane to join Humphrey Bogart at the airport. <laughs> and and then they, like, sell, they, like, sell something on the way down. They, like, sell a product. I mean, it's just like really offensive and delicious at the same time. Do you, you know, you're talking about this director of dubbing and and you have ethics as a company. Have you or or do you have protections against any sort of any sort of uh, veering of propaganda in the dubbing or any like who is vetting that? Right. And can you talk a little bit about I know I asked you about the nuance of these translations, but I'm just curious what the safeguards are for you. Again, that's a great question. And I've been asked that before. I've been asked that in my face in a, in a film festival, which is great. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 listen, I have, first of all, you know, the definition of a great question is, is, is a question that you have a great answer for, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, the answer is very simple. We are not technology, a tool company. So we're not giving access to a tool where you can do whatever you want, right? We are providing access to the technology through us. So everything goes eventually through us. And you know, in, in, in some of our agreements, we always reserve the right to actually not, you know, not take the job if it's immoral or, or, you know, has questionable content. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to stay away from the definition of what's questionable or not. In the end, we are not giving free access to everyone. And there are tools, by the way, there are tools. I mean, you see it over and over. I'm just, when was that today? Or yesterday with Tom Hanks with that ad, he was talking about an ad with his face and his voice that was promoting something that, yeah, just, just this week, there were some some cases. Because the technology is there. That's That's what I'm trying to say. The technology is there. And you can do this. It's not going to be the quality that, you know, that will pass television or, or cinema, but social media, it can be done. Not with us. You cannot do it with us. You know, it won't work with us because we don't give you a, oh, here's a text, just say it with uh, Shrek's voice. You can find that 
with a, you know, in, do Google and you'll find it in, in less than five minutes. You'll find a way to do this, to say a sentence with tricks or that Vader's voice. So we're, we're not that, it's, you know, those toys, exist. It's, it's, it's a toy, you know, it's, it's a game. You know, we can play with that and you can create, you can actually weaponize it as well, for sure. But not with us. That's that's the the most important thing. We're not providing the ability to do this kind of things on our platform. So my my last basic big question is like like AI is so powerful, right? Like there's there's so many use cases for it and so many different ways that you can start a business. But you know, when you guys were coming up with this idea for a deep dub, like why did you land on this of all things? Like what drew you to this space as opposed to like any of the other thousands of use cases for AI? You know, so the company was was created by two brothers originally. Uh, they happened to be, oops, excuse me, they happened to be my brothers. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, we're we're basically three brothers. But uh, Ophir Nier, when they started the company, I was actually, you know, regardless, I was uh, in the process of my previous startup was dwindling down. So uh, you know, I joined after. It got shut down because of COVID, regardless, you know, different story, different podcast. But essentially when they started, they sat down to actually look for, you know, try to, you know, when, before funding, founding DeepDub, they had the capabilities. They had different capabilities because they came from a very near, came from a very strong technological background. Ophir came from a very strong operational background. In fact, both of them were involved uh, uh, in different aspects with with AI, whether uh, it's in the IDF, Ophir was in the IDF and was... Uh, Introducing AI into the into the Air Force, and uh, and Nier was in, the, in in cyber, very prominent role within the cyber security uh, industry in Israel. And they actually had uh, another startup that they started using AI and imagery before that. That was, you know, as the way Ophir likes to say, that was not as exciting. And they decided to not continue with it, and they had another partner that actually took off with it. And they sat down and tried to, you know, to figure out, you know, what can, how can we have a better direct access or direct impact on, on, on your audience, on your, the consumer side and, and television, you know, something that you know, is very dear to our hearts where we, uh, television and cinema in terms of, you know, uh, you know, very big affinity of, you know, Star Wars and Star Trek, you know, we constantly have those, uh, Near is Star Trek and is a Trekkie and Ophir is Star Wars. We have those, you know, those uh, fights in the, in the in the family in the office. In fact, you know, we have these two camps. And in fact, we we try to theme theme everything around, you know, the concept of you know we're involved with it, within the entertainment industry, and 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 having that type of impact on audiences is something that is very, very keen to our hearts because of the ability to actually bring bring value. And again, well, when you expand beyond entertainment, the impact is 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 amazing. You know, it's a, the, the concept of democratizing content, you know, we were very focused on entertainment, but think about it, about the fact that for not for that language is a skill in the end. And if I don't own the skill, that skill, then I don't have access to content that is so commonly you and I can access. And that content is, it's not only films. It could be, you know, training material that enabled me to get a job. And if that's the majority, 25% of content online is in English, which means there's a lot of content that's just, 
not accessible to many new people. And that's that's pretty much part of the vision. Now, how can we increase that accessibility to other people around the world beyond the, the standard languages, the dubbed languages, you know, German, French, Italian, Spanish, and English, mm-hmm. and, and bring and, and create more access, you know, increase accessibility to a lot of you know, native speakers that are not English. We usually have these closing questions, but I really don't know how any of them would apply in this specific conversation. <laughs> Arik, do you have any way that you want to close this out? Or Yeah, yeah, I do. I, I kind of want to ask like a really big question about AI, you know, because you're, you're a professional in the space, you know, and, and you, you've, you have this whole business completely devoted around AI. But where do you see AI going in the future? Like, how do you see it being used 10 years, five years from now, 10 years from now? Like, what do you wow. think the, the limits are with AI? It's, it's a very big question. And I think that. Uh, 10 years, I, I won't be able, I, I'm not even, you know, I don't even. Well, let, 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 yeah, let's, let's narrow it down. Five like, years, yes. Like more, more into like within the film space, not in, not in okay. all spaces, but all right. within the film, filmmaking space. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for narrowing them. I think, I think that uh, one of the things we're going to see is, uh, I think it's a, an interesting development of it is the ability to, to dub live content. Wow. And that would, you know, think about the World Cup, you know, uh, soccer, uh, you know, everyone else calls it football, you know, around the world. We, we, <laughs> uh, we, we hide it behind, <laughs> behind abbreviation, FC, football club. No one knows that it's football, but let's kind of like hide it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I live in Dallas and it's called, you know, Dallas FC. That's the soccer team. But <laughs> it's one of the biggest events in the world, right? The World Cup. And, 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 and it, it, it basically is you know, broadcasted to, I don't know, 150 different, different countries. So just an example of how this could, could, you know, could be, think of this type of an event dubbed live, or, you know what, think about a basketball game in the United States or even an NFL game that doesn't traverse, it doesn't pass the the, the language barrier because, you know, who's going to, who's going to dub it live or, or even near live, you know, near live, we're probably going to see pretty soon within the next, couple of years but i think within the next five years we're going to see live dubbing so you'll be able maybe even us be able to wow. discuss in different languages and you'll be able to see me and I'm, I'm, i even dare take it to the next level and say you won't even notice that i'm not speaking my language because my visual will automatically be would be changed to uh, you know to wow. reflect the new language i think that's the capability it's it's going to be much more seamless so we're it's going to be consensual, obviously. We you will know because you, you understand that I'm speaking a different language. Uh, by the way, there's already live transcription in some of the video conferences. I think even Zoom has it, but yeah. Google Meets today offers live transcription. Like you can actually read in a 10 seconds or wow. less yeah. delay what's being discussed. So live captioning on Zoom I for the you know, for differently abled individuals who need the captioning. Exactly. In, in, in video conference, not, not television, video conference. So I think, you know, the, the, the ability to dub news and dub sports event will actually open up ave- new avenues for, for, you know, for democratizing the, the access to this type of content. That right now, it's very hard to, to, to do that. It's like a universal translator from science fiction. It's amazing. I think that that type of science fiction is, is, is going to come to life at some point. Yes. Wow. Well, closing the conversation, where can people go to learn more and support these efforts to learn more about working with DeepDove? Tell them where to go. Well, you can visit our website, 
deepdub.ai can reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have any specific questions. I'm, I'm, I will never shy from a conversation. Even if you disagree, you know, feel free. Uh, let's have a discussion. Let's have a dialogue. It's okay to disagree. You know, we're, we're human beings and, and, and it's perfectly okay. And I'm, you know, we're open for the, for the dialogue. In the end, I think that everyone is trying to do good in their own way, or at least most people try to do good in their own way. Let's have a dialogue and, and talk about how we can, you know, how we can collaborate. Do you love making movies as hard and you want to listen to more episodes? Jump over to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMIH and you can listen to the entire back catalog of episodes for just $1.99 a month. That's an additional 300 episodes that aren't on iTunes that you can listen to whenever you please. But without any more blibber blabber. Back to the show. Liz, what do you remember about our talk with Oz? Not like a, a lot, <laughs> like because my brain, like my memory is <laughs> obliterated and I have no real ability to perform deep, deep thinking. Uh, he, he was nice. He smiled a lot. I think that he I do. I remember that I botched the first question that I asked, but no one will really hear that because I think we re-edited it. But I wanted to skirt the line of like, I wanted to play both sides of the fence, essentially, and ask him questions from the perspective of someone who doesn't trust what he does while playing the, you know, like I want to play the devil's advocate with him. Yeah. And he was prepared. He was ready for that. And I'm sure he's kind of been there and people are always very wary about what he does. Yeah, I think he gets a lot of shit. Like he'll go to <laughs> film festivals and stuff to promote his service. And I think he just gets a lot of tough, angry actors and filmmakers coming at him like, AI, ah, you're going to steal our jobs. And so we definitely did ask those questions. And I think we were a lot nicer than some people yeah. can be about it. But yeah, he had great answers and it was a really fun conversation. And I, I just remember like kind of, you know, coming at him with like the honest open question I want to ask and then him having a really good polite you know interesting answer for it you know mm -hmm. and you know I think what he the thing that he said that was so interesting is like the technology is there but that doesn't mean that you can do it yeah. just because it exists doesn't mean you have the rights or the ability to do it and then I also like that like he wasn't like you know <laughs> foaming at the mouth waiting for the sag <laughs> writers uh, the sag strike to end and like for certain things to happen with the ai stuff that he's like oh that doesn't really affect me at all like that doesn't really matter for what we're trying to do so i that was encouraging and i thought that was interesting that that like has no bearing on what they're trying to do as a company so that that was cool well this conversation's coming back to me a little bit and i remember because because as a producer's rep, like I'm constantly working with filmmakers and trying to help them figure out distribution partners. But very often they don't explore international distribution at all. And so I'm curious if what he's doing will help more independent filmmakers yeah. find international distribution or if it's still going to be for the film teams that have more resources and bandwidth to think about that, because it's like a lot of. American-based independent filmmakers, they don't think about international because it's like a whole other headache to them in addition to the cost. So I'm curious. We'll see. We'll see if he changes the landscape in the micro-budget world. Yeah. I mean, you might actually know the answer to this question. So I'm going to ask you, like, do you think if like you gave your international distributor the move, your movie, like already dubbed in, you know, Chinese 
Spanish, Italian, German, Russian, etc. that if that would help them sell it? Or do you think like that's not going to change the fact that it's like they're tr- it's the same deal. It all depends on the movie. Or do you feel like, you know, giving content with like voices speaking that language would like, you know, help? I don't think it helps in the the pitch process because it's not like, mm. hey, I've got your deliverables. You should take the film based off of the deliverables, right? Like you were saying, it's based off of the movie. And if they want the movie, then you can say, well, and we have all of your deliverables. But if you're having an international sales agent or distributor pitch your film, the assumption is that you're going to be able to deliver anyway. So that you'll be able to deliver it dubbed in that language. Yeah, whatever that country requires. That's the assumption. Huh. But I, I will have to say, though, like I don't have an international distributor for any of my films and most independent filmmakers in the micro budget non genre world don't have international distributors because their films don't travel really well and yeah. they don't know how to find these part these partners really. Yeah, no, because I just I feel like it's interesting because, you know, like every independent small movie that I know, of, like I don't think they're getting dubbed into every language when they're being sold across the world. And unless the comp the, the market they're selling to does it on their own, you know, but it, it seems to me that if you were like looking at a bunch of American movies and then you're like, OK, there's three horror comedy or let's say there's three horror movies. One of them is already in the Russian language right now, ready to go. And two aren't. And everything else about them is the same. Like, wouldn't you go with the one that already has the Russian dialogue? That just seems like a no brainer. No, because as the as like, OK, so let's say I'm Russian Netflix, I'm Rush Flicks and I'm I get pitched three movies. I'm just going to pitch the movie that I'm going to pick the movie that I like. And I'm just going to say, get me the dubbed file. It doesn't it doesn't cost me any money. I'm just going to say, get me the movie I want and you take care of the deliverables. It doesn't impact my curation as the platform. Mm. Yeah, as Netflix. But like if you were a smaller distributor, like you imagine you're like a smaller Russian distributor, it feels like. I don't know. It just seems like from a buyer's perspective that that would be because it's like one step they don't have to go through. You know, you know, you would think that. But also it's like the producer's rep or the sales agent isn't going to sell a film based off of the ease of delivery. That also it's like it's not like how it's done. Right. It would be like you're going to love this film because it's got these actors or you're going to love these films because it's women with sharks meets Mulholland Drive. I don't know. Which would be a great movie, and I would love to see that movie. But yeah, you're probably right. I'm, 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 I'm being, I'm being very idealistic. No, yeah, but I, I wish the world were ran that way, where people like I would say that a lot of producers reps don't understand post production, so they might not even be able to relay stuff like this. So we live in a weird world, a weird segmented world. But that's a good segue to y'all are the expat. We have a segment called You're the Expert. Sometimes I try to sound like a carnival barker when I introduce it. Didn't work out that time. But the <laughs> but the segment is our producer, Eric Toms. He decides that we're experts in something. Liz and Ulrich are experts in this field. And so he decides to ask us questions to the expertise that we hold. And today's question is... I'm getting into filmmaking. I've made some shorts with my phone, but despite what people say, phones have a lot of limitations. There are so many really high-end cameras that you could buy for around $2,000. 
I'm thinking of a Canon 5D or a Sony A7. Should I save up and buy a camera so I can shoot wherever I want or just rent cameras as I need them for shoots? Alric, what are your thoughts yeah. as an expert? So I think there's a couple of variables that, that this depends on. Like if, if you're a filmmaker who is interested in cinematography and like wants to shoot things, you know, whether it's for yourself or for someone else, then buy a camera. But if you're a director or writer director who wants to direct and write movies and you don't want to shoot stuff, then I would say find an f- amazing DP in your area who already owns a way better camera than that and work with them, you know, and they're going to love it because they're going to have something to shoot and you're going to love it because you're not going to have to spend or deal with a camera. So like, that's my, my basic bottom line, simple answer. I do want to add that I, I, I own a, a seven myself that like I basically bought from my old partner to have to shoot nice photos of my children. But like, I have this idea to, sh- to I talked about on the show before to like make this movie starring my two-year-old and like, maybe I'll make that movie. Maybe I won't. But like, if I didn't own the camera, there is no way I would make that movie. I wouldn't shoot it with my phone most likely, but like, since I have a nice camera, it's like, oh, well, that's something I can entertain the idea of making my own short film starring my, my children. So I think it just kind of depends on the type of person you are. Like if you're the type of person who's like excited to like frame up your own shots and make a movie in a silo by yourself and just for fun, for practice, then I think getting a nice camera, like one of those would be great. And I feel like it doesn't really even matter <laughs> which one. They're all amazing. I mean, you could buy a, a, a Canon T2i for 600 bucks and you're probably going to be totally fine with what I would imagine this is going to be used for, because I think the amount of people who are going to buy a 2k, like a, you know, a, th- a camera that costs about $2,000 and that's the camera they'll make their first feature with, or that's the camera that they're going to make their short film. That's going to get into like a big film festival with like, it's probably a pretty small subset of people. I think most people are going to like meet a DP or know a DP or find a DP and they're going to hire that person and if you say, oh, look, I already have a $2,000, you know, mirrorless Sony camera, they're not going to give a fuck because they're going to have their their Red or their Alexa or whatever they have as a DP that's going to be like one million times better to make your movie with. And they're probably their own lenses and and everything. So I think... That's my answer is basically, unless you're like the kind of person who's like really excited to like go shoot their own movies, but like on your own, I would say it's probably better to just build your own team and work with a DP already has a great camera. But what do you think, Liz? Yeah, I mean, exact, very supportive of that answer. Don't really have any (laughs) amendments to it. But I was thinking about deliverables because we were just talking about deliverables, right? So it's like it doesn't for me because I'm not a gearhead and it's hard for me to really evaluate the differences in quality of certain cameras. But as long as you have a great cinematographer, you can create beauty out of lo-fi and hi-fi gear. And ultimately, it's just making sure you can output technically proficient deliverables when you shoot of a certain like right i'm just saying like make sure you can shoot 4k with whatever camera you get or that you can i don't even know if you would up res it but what's the actual it's not up res it but like that you can transfer it to the specs of 4k so like that's my only concern is that i think you could shoot with anything you could shoot with an high eight camera you can shoot with super eight you could shoot with a bullex who cares it's going to be gorgeous in its own way just make sure that when you output you're outputting to whatever deliverables the platform 
or the film festival requires. Yeah. Most, most distributors really only need, you know, 1080, right? Like these days, I mean, sometimes that, that was all the distributors that I dealt with for the alternate. No one cared about 4k. No one needed 2k. Even, even when I delivered to XYZ, it was 1080, believe it or not. That's nuts. So it's true. We had the 4k ready, but they didn't, they didn't require it. You know, so like, That's I mean, so crazy to me because Netflix used to require 6K like if like it was like this really <laughs> bizarre moment where Netflix was. I yeah. remember hearing that they would like a 6K requirement for some of their Netflix titles. is crazy. Yeah, they're they're, they're funny because they, they have a, a very staunch 4K policy and they, you can even go online and find the list of cameras they accept and they won't accept certain cameras that are 4K that don't have certain settings. And it's totally stupid and bullshit and whatever. But, you know, people do literally will go on and look at that list and make sure they're getting a, a Netflix approved camera. So it's like, whatever, no. go wank yourself. That's fine. Because <laughs> like the truth is, if Netflix really wants your movie, they'll they'll take it if it's at 4K, no matter what camera it was shot on, as long as you can Fair. match the d- deliverables, like you said, you know. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I do think like, but planning to shoot 4K is good. I'm not saying that you should plan to like master in 1080. I think you should always be mastering in, in 4K or 2K at the least. We I think we mastered in 2K for the alternate. But, you know, I mean, I feel like, as long as you you have that somewhere, just in case it comes up, I think it's a, it's good to have. But yeah, it is funny like what people ask for. It's you know, it's not always as, as much as you 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 think it is. Like I, yeah, I just delivered this show, and they they didn't even they they're like, oh no, don't even worry about Pro ProRes four four four. Just get ProRes four two two. Not even HQ. I don't know if you know this jargon. I kind it was of like do, a much. Actually. It was like a much lower codec, and I was like, really. <laughs> Okay. Like, cause like even for, you know, the stuff that, yeah. I mean, I feel like usually people are like, like four, 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 four is like what you want to like, you know, for a colorist or everything. But I guess when you're, when you're delivering the final, it's like, it's, it's less important anyways. Well, I'm just thinking on like, I mean, again, it's like skin ink, you know what I mean? Like you could have a yeah. movie that's like 50% in darkness, you know, and still it can be an effective, great, oh, yeah. interesting, compelling film. Yeah. And I've had to rep a few films that are black and white, which are really tough to sell. But if that's the intention of the filmmaker, then you go for it, right? Be an artist, pick what you think is right. Yeah, I, I think that this whole camera thing is just so funny. It's like, I, I don't, we probably talked about this on the show, but like back in 2011, they did this camera test where they tested like 10 different cameras against each other, including an iPhone all the way up to like, you know, an Alexa and like the top Alexa at the time and the top red. And like, there were like some people who picked the, the iPhone like over the Alexa, you know, in this like random, like, you know, Pepsi Cola type test thing, yeah. you know? And I mean, I just think it just goes to show it's like you can make something look great with anything. So like, you know, owning your own camera is like really more about who you are as an artist and less about like, you know, it it being a requirement to be a filmmaker. You know, I also think I just think it's better to like build a crew, build a team 
direct a team, direct a people crew. People first you know, instead it, of gear first. Yeah. Yeah. Because even if it's like two to three people on your squad to make a movie, it's like that's probably going to like be better skills that you're learning as a first time early filmmaker than if you go off and make a movie in a silo by yourself. Because the ability to direct a crew and to like work with a team is so valuable. And if you like, you know, are so lucky to rise in the ranks and get up in, in budgets, it's just going to get bigger and bigger and more and more people. And so like the, that experience is really valuable. Oh, so. yeah. And then your ability to even like get close to that equipment is going to get less and less likely the bigger, oh, yeah. the bigger projects you're a part of. Yeah, they're going to be like, get your hands off that monitor. Don't you dare touch it. <laughs> sit in your director's chair, director. Just sit tell and the actors what to, yeah. Tell the actors what to do already. God damn it, block the scene. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I I, I I just feel like, yeah, go out and build a, build a team. Because that's like such a good use of uh, skills is to like, you know, find a crew and like rally a team behind you. Like that's like a really like good skill to build so anyways eric stop asking this question about cameras no one cares no about camera cameras <laughs> please eric but okay. if <laughs> if any of you have a question comment or suggestion you can send it to podcast at making movies is hard.com if you like the show you can leave us a review on itunes we haven't had one of those for a while right or have we no nope not at all I mean, well i haven't been looking because I, I so i used to have a subscription to a service that would email me every time i got a review and oh, i canceled it oh. so I, I i honestly i haven't checked like since i canceled it so maybe we do have a nice review i don't know <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna search while i read check us out on facebook instagram twitter at mmih podcast youtube at making movies is hard podcast we want you to check out the international screenwriters association we call them the isa they're the organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers through the number of the programs they offer. They publish your log line to a network of industry professional consultation courses. They have contests. Go to networkisa.org to sign up for free. Thanks to Oz Krakowski for coming on the show. Thanks to Allie Goldberg for setting up the interview through Con Concrete Media. Thanks to our editor, Jeff Rymoot, for doing the editing. Robert Jones for handling all of our social media. And our producer, Eric Toms, for being awesome. This is all dudes, again, except for Allie. Good job, Allie. Thanks to all of you for listening and talk to y'all next week. Um, okay, you talk and I'll think of something. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can, yeah. Oh, I have to ask you first, though. You can also toss it to me if you want. <laughs>